people at home, you're listening to Riffs and Scripts. My name is Cole Bryant. My name is Amber Sava. Welcome back. Today, today, we are rediscussing or continuing our discussion on uh, the differences between live and and recorded projects. You know, the differences between doing something in the moment, like, moment like a performance or doing something like a record. Yeah. First, so, hello, Amber. How hello. are you doing? I'm good, darling. How are you? Yeah, I'm alright. I'm ticking over. I've been so, doing a lot of D and D recently. Oh my I'm god, same. That. Oh my god. I know, I know you have. Oh yeah, that was up. really cute. We had like a late night phone call while you helped me level up. Yep. Oh my god, yep. it went so well. By the way, did it? Oh, we then had this whole. We had a whole minor tour, and he had insane level of HP, and we didn't even know how much. But we're there throwing like everything we've got at it. We're like, surely he's dead now, and then he wasn't. But the um the the level up tips you gave me really really helped well i mean you know, what was it what was it saying. the one where you, what was it what was the spell we did where you focus on one guy and you get an extra roll for damage it's called hunter's mark hunter's so, mark um, i kept trying to say maker's mark but that's a type of that's whiskey right. it's, it's the <laughs> that's because that tells us all about something about your personality i fucking love a bit of whiskey me but carry on me too i cooked cowboy stew yesterday with whiskey but yeah hunter's mark is the bread and butter of the ranger um and uh yeah in in D D. And uh, I built a ranger recently. Um, I need to send you some stuff on that, actually, a different time. But um, we can beef up your ranger a bit because, you know, people complained about ranger when D&D first came out. Oh, uh, no. When, when this, this to me, that feels out. like exact. Anyway, it, feel, it feels Don't very worry. archetypal of like the quest. I feel like a ranger is a very good um, staple character if you look at it from yeah. like a storytelling perspective. Um, so should we do a little recap? So last week yeah, we yeah, talked yeah. about we talked about film a lot. We talked about how much in movies an actor isn't as much a part of the creative process as you might think. Uh, yeah. We talked about how there's a lot more agency. I think that's a good word for actors on stage uh, compared to film, and about how a lot of the actors that do really really well did kind of start in theatre. We yeah, talked about a lot yeah. of those. Um, and with recording, we kind of went over the basics for a recording studio. Yeah, I mean, there's, there's actually a lot more to say. Um, uh, if you don't mind me going off on one, um, so yeah, the ma- one of the main things about yeah the recording studio we touched on last time was that um, you do things in the studio that you can't do live. One of those things is have multiple copies of instruments or multiple different um, kind of effects or change. The same voice multiple times fucks in my brain when I hear that. Exactly. Yep. I mean, you listen to ABBA and like every vocal recording in there is done at least twice. Oh yeah, um, another big ABBA. thing we talked about last week was ha- was like non-verbal communication between performers and how vital that is, mainly live, but I imagine also when recording. I mean, yeah, there's um, there's a lot about oh god, there's 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 a really good example actually is that um, Luke was struggling with a particular thing that we'd written. It's really interesting how um, when you go into a studio, you rehearse and rehearse and rehearse and rehearse before you go in. And you have to really rehearse, properly rehearse. And it really shows if someone's not putting the the effort in. Um, But in one particular case, Luke was putting the effort in, but we weren't able to articulate what we we were getting at. And actually, it was just one little kind of a bar of of a triplet. So it was doing duh-duh-duh rather than duh-duh-duh-duh. So... Um, and we couldn't articulate it well enough because we weren't using the terminology right mm-hmm. in the rehearsal room. 
and um yeah in the studio we had this this problem where uh luke thought we were trying to get him to do it on the third beat of a four rather than the second beat of a three it was something right, like that yep, yep, yep. um so it was that kind of thing and um the thing was that with uh a studio you yeah there there is elements of of looking at each other and, and doing that kind of stuff but that can only happen in the guy takes so we were all trying to work out what was wrong with this thing but but actually there is a limitation to that you can't express complex ideas with the um that kind of look that we all do um it's it's weird all musicians know about it like um at least ones in bands every every band i've ever talked to they all know about it whatever it is um but yeah in that instance we had to take him aside and go there's something wrong with this and then i worked out it was a triplet and that's what we were trying to do because the basically the guitars and the bass weren't matching up with the drums and it was like what is going on and it's so strange that that didn't seem to get picked up in the rehearsal space you know mm. i think it was probably because in the rehearsal space we were looking at each other you know right and so he was probably doing it right there because we were like doing a thing i don't know what happened with it but hey got sorted out got fine you know it was good we did a video for that one i think but um it's yeah there's a lot less of that and so you have to be able to articulate what you really want each other to do do you know i think there's a there's a fundamental problem with this in that um a lot of bands are anti-intellectual in their outlook anti-intellectual okay yeah which is something i really dislike actually yeah um i don't like anti-intellectualism it's a it's a big problem across all spectrum the whole spectrum of our our life in this world whether it be politics whether it be music um you know there is there is a bit of a problem with it and so i when we got together as a band when i was younger i set out to just know as much as i could um yeah, now Nath sure. isn't Nath, Nath isn't like that as much. He he relies so much on feel. And uh there's there's a weird thing in that um some musicians deliberately don't don't learn exactly what they're doing because they don't want to lose whatever weird creative spark it is. Now I'm not I don't I don't necessarily subscribe to that, but I do understand it. Uh Ozzy said that. He said he never really learned an instrument because he didn't want to muck up his ability to kind of think of things in the moment. Right. Um, I I don't I don't necessarily agree with that. I I I did creative writing actually, and when we were doing creative writing, um, one of our lecturers said something to me that always stuck with me is that it's really great to break rules. It's really brilliant, but if you're just not bothering to learn something, That's saying different. hey, I'm breaking the rules was... by not learning something. If you're going to break the rules, do it from an imp- informed position. There and was you know a quote... what rules you're breaking and why. There was a quote in the wall on like in the English room at my school. Basic, my English teacher for A-levels, I had two different English teachers. One of them was an arsehole who should never work in teaching ever. And one of them was a really lovely woman who just wanted to encourage a love of learning and a love of literature. Like, she was great. And she fully acknowledged that people's minds wonder, okay? And she was like, yeah. that is normal. So what she chose to do was cover the walls of her classroom with stimulating stuff and quotes and facts yeah, yeah, yeah. so that when you kind of zone out you're still learning it was a lovely technique yeah, and cool. one of them though i can't remember it perfectly but there was a quote saying um only when you've learned the rules this was about the rules of like a language but only yeah. when you've learned the rules so well that you would never make a mistake are you 
in a position to actually break them intentionally was the idea yeah and that's i do you know i've I've had um people people get funny about this because i um people go prescriptive prescriptivism is just a a race class tool and i'm just like well it's not quite true you know like that's that's not that's not that's not really i know that I know that people have used uh, language to, to specifically denigrate and control. Yeah, and that's you know, disgusting people, and wrong. You know, yes, and that's true. But but partially, like, like I genuinely worry. I got, I got um, I got told off, and loads of people were applauding the person who was funny to me because basically I said, "Why does everyone say women and woman wrong on the internet? Why mm. do they do it? And why is it a thing that everyone does? If you don't know what I'm talking about, woman is spelled W O M A N, and women is the plural, and it's W O M E N." Now, I got really hammered by someone for saying... Um, correcting someone. For, uh, well, I was kind of correcting, but I was saying, like, why does everyone get this wrong? Yeah. And I wasn't trying to criticise anyone. It's just like a thing. And then I got a stream of comments saying, they could be dyslexic, you bastard, and and um, and um, stuff like um, doxing someone just because they got something wrong. You know, it's just, oh, prescriptivism is a tool of the class structure, blah, blah, blah. And oh, I was okay. like, I'm not saying you're totally wrong. Yeah. But like it fucking worries me think, because like I think also if we're going to look at this, this if we're going to look at this from a class structure okay let's let's get let's get meta now then then surely the elite don't want you to educate yourselves because your lack of yeah, education of one minute your lack of education will give them power so the best thing anyone of any um of any marginalized community can do is search out that education become as eloquent as you can don't change your accent don't change who you are but yeah learn things use that and because it's so empowering this is a bit of brand for us but do you know no, akala just... no 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 do you know akala i was i was about to say i akala. fucking love akala he's, so he's such a smart much. fucking guy he's one of the most intense and he's, he was a working class little boy like anyone yeah. else he was a little he's mixed race actually i was going to refer to him as black but he is mixed race and and he has done so much with his life. He has published books. Yeah. He's traveled the world. He's an incredible musician. And one of his biggest, if look up his fire in the booth, you guys, you will be moved. Um, and one of his biggest things is read, just read, just find the books that are out there. Teach yourself because it's empowering. So yeah, yeah. there's our little uh, slightly socialist. There we go. So I think, yeah, yeah, education doesn't have to be elitist. Some people want it to be and we need to fight that. And the best way to fight that is by educating as many people as physically possible. In my utopian world, I would say if I got to like literally rule the world, everyone, 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 everyone would have a home, healthcare and an education. Beyond yeah. that, we can argue about marital societies and socialism versus whatever but i think that the basic things that all humans should have is a home a healthcare, and an education well exactly that's why you get why you get i mean well we are we are getting right into it i know i know, I know. It's not we should we get expected. back on track shouldn't we this sorry guys. Live, I, I mean i hey don't, don't be sorry i think i think it's important i think um i think it is important because we're both we're both a, a bit political and we're both um fairly similar um kind of um i think we're more just politically aware Actually. I was going to say I don't think I'm all that political that when I talk to people who I've got I've got a friend for example who is a full-time journalist for Sky yeah, yeah. and when I talk to him I feel dumb and there are always going to be gaps because politics is intentionally difficult they don't tell you everything oh God, it's, yeah. it's dishonest so it's very difficult to to like you know wade through the mud and the bullshit that gets thrown at you and try and form a political opinion but you mm. and I are both people who believe that everyone should be looked after and yeah, that women absolutely. should have rights do you know I was thinking okay fuck it let's do this I was thinking yeah. 
thinking, yeah, fuck it. I was Amber, thinking the other day go the chain, about fine. the way that we use the word for rights. Yeah, so you you might say that in some countries and some cultures, uh, women don't have the right to X, Y, and Z. I've decided that is um, an oxymoron. My argument is. Every, human rights apply to every human that yep. includes the right to do what you want with your body the right to um do what you want with your money or your home or you know the right to express love for any gen all of that yeah i believe that everybody has those rights the right to freedom obviously the right to a fair trial all of that yep. is a human right and i think we need to practice not saying oh in this place they don't have that right but actually saying oh in they this, don't respect that right in this place you know? that right yeah. is violated yeah. So if someone if someone does something bad to you, and I don't want to get too triggering and heavy, but if someone does something bad to you, they haven't taken away your right to something. They have violated your right to something, yeah. and that's something I've been thinking about the last few days. Man, there's there's a there's a I use the word I think I use the word respect there because uh, respect sure. is someone's right to do something. Um, I read this thing. It was a very simple quote, and I was like, it really hit me actually, and, and it's it's really right. Is that when some people talk about respect? they're talking about one thing and when other people talk about respect they're talking about another thing yes so yes. when authorities talk to you they say if you're not going to respect my authority then i'm not going to respect your and it's Humanity. like your fucking right to be alive and yeah. shit you know and it's a different thing because you're respecting their right to be alive but you're not necessarily respecting their right to control you which I is wrong totally you know? agree um to, con yeah, to add to that, that, to add another, I've read that as well. To add another layer to that, there was this teacher in America who quit her job and there was a speech she gave to the board that went viral. And she was saying how even when people, so, okay, so we've got respect that people deserve as a human, yeah? And then we have arguably the respect that people earn for getting promotions and being managers and teachers and this, that, the other. However, yeah. however, she said that those people still owe you respect. And she phrased it beautifully. She said disrespect in an uneven power dynamic is bullying yeah oh beautiful so yeah i don't actually think of myself as hugely political obviously i vote i just care about doing what's right and unfortunately the people that tend to go against what i think is right a lot happen to be politicians like <laughs> it's that simple it's just uh yeah we we we're a bit we're left-leaning. We're definitely, definitely left-leaning. Yeah, we are. I mean, I... I Hello, I we're artists and recently, creatives, aren't we? I was way we? further left than I thought I was. Really? So I haven't done one of those tests. Um, I'll send one to you. I just think, you know, I don't think people can be hugely surprised. We're, we're sat making our own independent podcast about working in music and theatre and stuff. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Of course, we're well, of course, fucking left-leaning. A lot of, of right-wing people um, are really surprised when they find out that basically everyone in Hollywood is, is, is surprisingly left-wing. Like, like yeah, of loads course. of them. We're um, artists. Artists and, um, are almost not by definition, but it's it overlaps a lot, doesn't it? I want to make the world more beautiful and more. Hu and mm. we're very empathetic by definition. We're empathetic it's, and it's all really, of this stuff. It's it's really really odd, you know, um, because the right, you know, are basically coming coming at things from a different angle. You know, um, they they want things like freedom of individual liberty, which is a brilliant thing. And you know, um, I think uh, what's the name of the guy? A really brilliant um, uh, magician and psychologist type, um, Darren Brown. Darren Brown, yeah, yeah, love Darren the guy. Brown. I've um, seen him live said, twice. You know, He's amazing. The the, the, na the the thing is that you need a bit of this and a bit of that, a bit of right and a bit of left yes. to to get yes to get a, a place that's a really workable, livable, happy society. You need a bit of protectionism and you need personal liberty. And you need all this stuff. Yeah. And, you know, yeah. as far left as uh, some people think we might appear, 
Stephen Fry has made the same that, argument as know. well. Stephen Fry couldn't be more left if he tried, but he still believes that political correctness can get not political correctness but monitoring people's speech well, yeah, too much he says political get, correctness he, he yeah, did a whole thing can get in that. the way of communication and this yeah. and the other so anyway i'll tell you something funny so um with regards to rehearsals and going into the studio prepared right so um as you know i said earlier you rehearse and rehearse and rehearse and then you go into the studio and something happened the same twice okay um we wrote our first record without a um without the bassist that ended up recording um we wrote it before you know when we played it gigged it gigged it gigged it way before we um went into the studio we hired this bass player he had no contribution in terms of anything creative the whole time he was in the band he didn't say anything that we used ever and he would rarely contribute. So I just want to make sure that's on bloody record before he starts claiming things. <laughs> in case he writes in. <laughs> we taught this guy all the stuff and he just is someone who just doesn't fucking pay attention. And he acts like a child, right? And uh, he's no longer in the band, as you can tell. And uh, we went in and on the first record, I was present for every single take of every single instrument except the drums. Right. Because um, I was asleep for some of it, frankly, uh, until he woke <laughs> me up playing. Okay. But um, that's quite unusual. You don't usually do that. Um, usually only the studio engineer, producer, whoever is there. And that's a whole role I'll discuss in a minute. But usually, you know, the band members slink off and go have a fag, have a drink, uh, go sit in the back. So we, we watched a lot of Only Fools and Horses during the time of our recording. But I... I'm a I'm a bit of a control freak. You might not know that, but I'm a bit of a control freak. And um I needed to make sure that shit got right because I was spending thousands to be there. You yeah. Know? I mean I myself was spending hundreds to be there anyway, you know? Yeah, yeah. And um But the I'd band been there doing was thousands band, of pounds of band money yeah. that you that and, you take care of. And that more than that, on there, that yeah. first recording, yeah, I, I mean I was managing all the funds and I managed all the all the kind of merch stuff, all that kind of stuff. I managed, yeah. Well, I managed the band, really. Yeah, yeah, for sure. And um, you've got to remember that we'd already been together like years before we recorded. Like five years, maybe? Yeah. Maybe that. So um, we gigged all this stuff. We taught the bass player. I'd assumed Nath was being as like on top of it in terms of what the bass player was doing. As he was. But of course, when he's playing, and specifically when he's showing something, he's looking at his own fingers, right? Yeah, yeah. Because <laughs> so, he wants to course, get that right. He wants yeah. to like nail it, yeah. And especially if you're showing someone, because, I mean, a lot of the time you end up playing things and you kind of forget how they go. Your fingers just do it. And then you have to actually articulate to another person. And then you have to really think about what you're doing again. Mm. So I sat down. Basically, we'd done the guitar parts. We'd done the drum parts. And we'd done the guide vocal, right? Yeah. So I was sitting there with our old bass player. And I'm looking at him. And I'm going, that, hang on, that doesn't seem right. That note's not quite right. Chris, and talk to the studio guy, Chris, um, hang on a sec. We've got to do that Something's again because that, yeah. that, that note's not right. Because um, I know all the bloody parts. Yeah, you of course see. You now, do. Most singers don't do that. Most singers don't don't take that kind of level of interest. Yeah. But had I not been, been there, loads of stuff would have gone through. And eventually, we'd been tracking like two or three songs. And I walked out and I was just like shaking. And I go to Nath and I go, Nath, 
he doesn't know any of the fucking songs, Nave. You gotta come in. You gotta come show him. Nave's like, what? We've been playing. This is the bassist. He doesn't know, and you're realizing because you're recording. Yeah. Stuff that maybe because he got away with live, you were yeah, like, live yeah. you can get away with like yeah. the odd bum note, or you can get away with not being quite on time with the riff and stuff. Or, well, you could, it, actually timing you would notice, but playing the wrong notes somehow sometimes you actually don't notice it live, mm. especially when you're in a wall of noise, you know. Mm. Um, especially in the kind of little venues that we've been doing. So, I walked out and I said, "No, if he doesn't know any of the fucking songs," and he'd been playing some of them live wrong for ages. Anyway, that was how the first one went. The second time we went into the studio with that same guy, um, we um, I'm, I'm mate, I'm doing all the bitching now. This is what we're here for. This is the girl. Go the get go. We I'm went loving it. Same guy. Get my popcorn. This guy, this guy was getting shitty with us. Yeah. Um, in the run up to the second second record, so okay, a bit of context. We were writing stuff that was a bit less eighties. Because we were sick of it. Yeah. And basically, the second album was still a bit too 80s for us even now. So that's why we're moving on to, to like less and less 80s stuff. But the second record was a bit less 80s. And this guy was getting funny with Nath. Here's what happened. This guy lived closer to me. Nath lives in Amersham, which, as you know, is the opposite side of Oxford from me. So it's like yeah. a, it's like an hour to get to, to, to Nath's house, right? Mm-hmm. So for rehearsals, I was spending a lot of time on my own with this bass player, right? Yeah. And he is I don't care about it. He's a very manipulative person. And his dad's the same. And his dad was trying to kind of get in with us. Ooh. And, um, you know how we feel about those dads. Dadages, yeah. Yeah, dadages. Oh. And so they were trying to like they were sucking up to me a bit and saying like, Cole, you're the real talent in the band. You should be writing this stuff. Because I write guitar parts as well. You know, mm. it's different to Nath. It's still good still really good but it's different to nave stuff so um and we like doing things in a way where a lot of the guitar stuff is is nave and then i bring a lot of the kind of cordia stuff and that kind of thing and it works really well we've we've me and nave have a, a lot of mutual respect but this guy and his dad were trying to drive a wedge right between us and what right. what he wanted to a couple of the things that i had written were a bit more 80s so this guy wanted to do a project that was a bit like more Michael Schenker, UFO, um, kind of new wave of British heavy metal um, type stuff. So Iron Maiden, Judas Priest type stuff, right? Yeah. Because obviously I can sing like that. Yeah. And some of the guitar parts I was writing at the time, grown up a bit since then, to be honest, but um, were a bit more like that. So this guy was trying to angle it so that we would do a different project together, right? And I knew that. And I didn't know that I knew it until... The second day, so so what had happened was we, we, we'd spent all this time rehearsing and all this time me in the car on my own with this other guy driving yeah. home. Yeah. Now, with the way that record worked was him and Nath had a rift um, and he didn't like what Nath was doing. Nath didn't like when he was taking the piss, being late or not paying attention. Yeah. Um, and not contributing anything yeah. creatively, anything. And so the second record was really fucking hard to write because Nathan was just like, I have no creative vibe. It's like a black hole in the room. We all felt yeah. like it. And I was stressing out. Two weeks to recording, we had two songs done of a five-song record. Um, and we had a couple of little bits done and a couple of riffs sitting around. So I sat down and I wrote the rest of the record in two weeks. 
And I wrote some of the lyrics for two songs. In fact, all of the lyrics for two songs in the studio, right? Yeah. But because I'd worked out the, I worked out some guitar parts and I said to Nath, right, Nath, I've recorded this on Cubase, sent it over to him. What do you think of this? And over the course of a few Facebook comments, we sent each other a couple of videos. This is how we'll do this riff section. How about you, you do this riff section? And actually it made me and Nath a lot closer because we just learned how to write together. Yeah, because you were um, working remotely together. Remotely and yeah. in the room. But basically I realised if I don't sit and finish this record, it's not going to get fucking finished because... We are not in a position where, um, like, like if Nate's writing stuff, he's not writing the vocal parts. It's just not how his mind works. He can write brilliant guitar parts, but it's not how his mind works. So we we were trying to bounce off each other, and we now got this amazing dynamic. And actually, it's thanks to that guy trying to drive a wedge between us that that happened. I love that though. I so, love that 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 when someone. Yeah. A, I love that. So there's a beautiful thing about when when two friends or two colleagues are put under a high pressure situation and come out stronger the other end. Mm. Um, and I also just love the justice of someone trying to be a bit yeah. dirty and it backfiring in their face. Well, Everything about it, I love. That's <laughs> where it started to fall apart, right? Yeah. So, um, so me and Nath, we had a bit of animosity because this guy was trying to get in my head and it was kind of working, right? Mm. And I drove up to the studio. And now as a singer, I make a point of getting a lot of sleep if I'm going to do any any um, singing. Yeah, me and sleep Nath, and water, two best things for your Nath, voice, genuinely. We unloaded all the stuff. We went to this, this recording studio. We unloaded all the stuff. And we're like, tomorrow we're going to get ready, but we're coming up the night before, right? So we got there maybe eight o'clock. Me and Nath sat on our own and had a talk till five o'clock in the morning. And we got it all out of our systems. And Nathan said, I've been really fucking worried about you because I know that guy's getting in your fucking head because he tried to do it to me. Because yeah. what had happened was this guy had been setting up, his dad had been setting up um, stuff for Nathan in terms of amp stuff and guitar stuff. They weren't really great at it, but he was like happy to kind of socialise and stuff and, and get on with people. And they'd been talking shit about me the whole time that Nath had been around there and they'd been talking shit about Nath the whole time I'd been around there. Mm. So this is what they were doing. So me and Nath got it all out of our system and I said, sometimes, you know, sometimes I don't feel like you respect some of my ideas. And And then we really just talked it all out and it was part of about becoming men because, rather than being boys. Yeah, 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 I'm with you. me and Nath had known each other, we'd known each other since we were five. We've been best mates since we were about 16. And, you know, we got it all out of our systems and we were in like kind of early 20s, late teens. And we just grew up a bit. And that was kind of the... Yeah. Uh, and we became a lot closer after that, musically and professionally, as well as just as friends. Yeah. And um, we did that recording. And we went in again and the guy didn't know the bass parts again and what we found out the reason why this guy didn't like any of Nate's riffs at the time because he didn't fucking know the riffs because yeah. he wasn't fucking paying attention yeah. the riffs were really complex and interesting and he didn't even know mm. he thought they were just like oh you just sit on this one note for ages no you just weren't looking at Nate's hands the whole fucking time so I did, went out and I went to Nate I said he doesn't know the fucking songs again Nate and um, and this guy was fucking childish it was his fault that I ended up getting stuck in um in fucking Scotland, right? This is that same guy. Yeah, 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 yeah. We've, so, we've all heard that one, Cole. Come this on. This was all... You no, know, as I've said, so this was all falling apart. And um, we got it done. 
and we had a couple of sections we needed to change because they just weren't done in time for the studio. And when we got in and recorded them, they just didn't sound right. And ideas that we'd had in the rehearsal room, actually, when we got our heads out of it, listened to it, didn't sound right. So we were like, okay, we've got to book another two, three days. Maybe just the one, don't know, see what happens. Yeah. Um, And we're going to have to fix this recording. So this is part of it, remember? This is the difference between a live thing and a recorded thing because you can fix it. Mm. Um, but you have to redo things. So in the meantime, we had a few gigs. We knew we were going to have to take a month or two to um, go back into the studio and finish this record. So we did some gigs, did some gigs. And this guy is turning up late or not turning up to stuff, being arsy with us when he turns up. We had this one rehearsal. We had a gig in High Wycombe the next day. And we did this one rehearsal. Turn up late. It's getting really arsy with Nath. Nath wasn't having any of it. Nath's, Nath's really good like that. He doesn't put up with shit, which I really like. I really respect about him. And Nath was just like, you can you can be as fucking shitty with me as you like, but I just want you to do the job. That's it, you know. And he was get and Nath was actually quite restrained. He wasn't that's that, those weren't the words he used, but that's basically what what he was getting at. And um the guy was getting shitty and shitty shitty and eventually this guy stormed off during rehearsal. Came back in, finished the rehearsal of the run through of the set. He goes home. Next day, we got a gig. Now, we turn up. We're all sitting there. We're headlining. And um, we are supplying the back line. So I've talked to you about this before. Headline band, if you're headline, generally you supply the back line. Then, you know, the, the other bands are kind of putting their heads on your caps and things like that, right? So the bass player just isn't fucking there. He doesn't turn up for hours, hours and hours. And we, we got there expecting to lo- load up, do our sound check, and then get our stuff off so that other bands could sound check. So no bands had any sound check on that show, which is fucking disgraceful. This guy turns up like three quarters way through the first band set. And we had already decided to fire him. Mm. Okay, so we're there. We're all pissed, right? We're all fucking angry. And this one promoter from High Wycombe, it was his last ever show in High Wycombe, this promoter, and he stopped promoting after that. And um, we're all there going, fucking hell. So I I ring my friend Barney, who I've talked to you about before, I think. He's a great bass player. Um, And I say, Barney... Oh, oh, for the two weeks before that, Proviso, I had told Barney to learn all our songs. Right, yeah. okay. So I told Barney to learn our songs because I knew fucking something was going on. Yeah, Because yeah. me and Nate, this wasn't our first rodeo. We knew how this shit goes. So I said to Barney, who lives in High Wycombe at that point in time, you you, you know our songs well enough, right? Because Barney started as a fan of the band. That's how I got to know him, right? So he already knew the songs. Or he can know, know it enough that he can go and blag it. He'll sit in the same key and he knows Yeah, the yeah, we're with you. We're with fine. you. Keep going, keep going. Come so on. I say to Barney, he's not fucking turned up, right? So, have you got your bass stuff? Do you know the songs well enough that you can just have a blag? And he says, yeah, I'll fucking blag it, mate. So, Barney has his stuff in his car. He parks it in the car park outside the venue. He turns up, and he's there with his girlfriend at the time. And he's, like, ready to go. And I say, hold off, hold off, mate, because I'm going to... If this goes how it's going to go, we'll get you to pull your stuff out, you know, during the changeover before we go on, and we'll just fucking do it. And you'll just be up there, and we'll just fucking have a laugh, right? And um, before he comes in, Barney's like outside and pulls up with his dad, right? Um, They sit in the car, not fucking talking to us. 
working out what they're going to say to us. The bass player walks in and he says, um, um, hey guys, how you doing? And they're just like, you're fucking late. And this guy always made a point of everyone else being out, everyone else being late, but he was late all the fucking time. He used to say this thing. He used to say, um, right, mate, do you know what rhymes with mate? And we just be like, oh, you fucking prick. So he was late all the fucking time. He turns up late. Nate's like, you're fucking late. And the guy goes, yeah, well, um, some of us have jobs. So, you know, and we're all standing there like, we all have fucking jobs. Yeah. You this can't gig throw was that booked one out fucking there. months in yeah. advance. I had loads of prep. We're headlining the show. We're pushing it. There's people waiting for us. There's three other bands on the bill. They were all expecting to use our gear and they've all been failed because you didn't bring your bass stuff. Yeah. Right? So you fucked us tonight and that was your fault. Now, we do not say it in that kind of aggressive yeah, tone that yeah, I yeah, just yeah. used. That's but how we you're are fucking feeling. angry. And it's probably and the seeping thing is, out a Nath, little bit, but Nath's not quite like, like a quiet, bubbling cauldron. You've seen Nath, he's very laid back, he's very cool, incredibly sexy. Um, but but if he gets pissed off, he's pissed off, you know. So we've decided he's fired after this gig, right? Or before, I don't care. So the guy says, Man, I've got to talk to you, Cole. Blah, blah, blah. So he's trying to get me to leave and do this other band. So I so he gets me aside. Says, I'm not feeling positive about the band at the moment, you know. And I'm just like, well, mate. I mean, I'm, if you're not feeling positive about it, maybe maybe you should think about moving on, you know. Hmm. So I use all this reverse psychology, and I get him to quit, and he quits, and he thinks he quits of his own volition. But we were going to fucking fire him, and I just basically turned the conversation around. But um, man, this is a fucking sidetrack. But that story needed to be told. I've been and you had to someone it for else to play years. the music. Right, I that's... had someone else to do it. So he, he did the show. He did the show. And oh, then okay. we decided to call it quits after the show. Oh, so the bassist, man, the original bassist did do that one show. He did that one show. And then Barney filled in for, the, for, for, for afterwards. And then we got a great new bassist. And immediately we got on like a house on fire. We got that chemistry straight away. He came in. He didn't even, he, we did one rehearsal with him. Came in, did the songs perfectly. Because he's a session guy. See? Comes in. Did the songs perfectly. Sounded amazing. Bass sound. Brilliant guy. Got on with it well with him. Had a whole year with him. Problem was he couldn't do the gigs because he was busy all the time. But there we go. Blimey. That was a sidetrack. Sorry, Amber. No, it wasn't a sidetrack. In fact, there are two different things I want to talk about that that made me think of. Uh, one is actually a point I had written down about the difference between live and recorded. And you've really hit the nail on the head. One of the things I wrote down that's a big difference between theatre and film it's harsh to say, but it's true. In theatre, you have no idea how replaceable you are. Yes. So you could be playing Juliet at the RSC in a Romeo and Juliet or at the Globe for Romeo and Juliet. And you might think you're the dog's bollocks. But honestly, let me tell you, at any moment, especially in big cities, but at any moment, there are 20 actresses that know every yep. fucking line of Romeo and Juliet and yep. they will step in tomorrow, bitch. So know yes. your place. Do you know what I mean? Like, I know it sounds harsh, but it's true. And one way that it's different with movies, and this is why movie actors have got the reputation for being the divas rather than theatre actors. Theatre actors are actually arguably not treated well enough that's a whole thing we can talk about, but um, you're much more replaceable in theatre because guess what? Tomorrow night is a new show. Tomorrow night, the understudy's yeah. on and no one really cares because yep. the audience get a show. With a movie, exactly. if halfway through making a movie, they decided to sack you, they yeah. would have to start the movie all over again, which costs- They've done it. They've as... done it already, so they've got to redo it. 
And yeah. as we were just discussing, you know, £60,000 just for the ears on the extras, it costs, I don't even know how much money to restart a film and rebook yeah. locations and go over all of that again. So that's why in yeah. movies, you do get away a bit more with being a bit of a diva. I mean, arguably, they yeah. might never employ you again in the future yeah of course <laughs> but while you're there so i so i found this there was this thing i used to say after doing the film i used to say look i know that an actor is a prop yeah you're a talking prop i joke about it but it's true okay um but when you but 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 when you do uh, a film it's like you're this very shiny expensive crystal prop that they yeah. cannot break so like it was so crazy how much I got fawned over making a movie. Like, it is a bit intense. So, yeah, for example, they didn't want me to tan too much because of continuity, because you always film things a little bit out of sequence. And we'd already filmed, the last scene was back in London. Uh, so we did the beginning and the end of the film yeah. back home. Then we flew to Greece and filmed everything yeah. on location. So I couldn't tan too much because I looked because of how I look in the final scene. The yeah, issue yeah, yeah. is, I'm a Mediterranean girl. I was tanning like crazy. But my point is, because of that simple reason, there was a guy whose whole job it was to follow me around with a fucking umbrella. Wow. I'm not kidding. Because they didn't want me to tan too much. There are so many examples. Uh, you know, I told you about filming in the cave. Yeah. Uh, so... So there was, I told you, I think I said this uh, when we talked about film, but the cave had like a hole in the top where everything carefully got lowered down and the actors and all the crew had to climb down. You had to yeah. walk across some some kind of flat rocks and then get to the beachy bit. And that's where we set up. Now the flat rocks would have, they weren't quite coral, but they were coral-esque and the waves would splash over them. So they were wet and they were slippery, right? Yeah. And we're walking across it and 13-year-old me... I was in those little jelly shoes to help me have grip and not cut my feet, but I slipped and I, I was in um, the swimming suit, but then this big kind of towel dressing gown. I slipped, I landed sideways on my hip, right? I'm yeah. laughing, lol, I fell, you know? The assistant director grabbed me so fucking quickly and honestly, yeah. they were there checking me like, is she bruised, is she bruised, is anything, is she okay? And it wasn't... Don't get me wrong. I'm not saying they didn't care about me. They were actually but partially, a really lovely crew. Aesthetic, yeah. But it was because I was this shiny crystal thing that was in almost every scene yeah. of the movie. And if I got injured, it co it would have cost so much money. So course, yeah. there, there is this that you are treated like there, there was a point where we were doing night shifts and I got a little bit ill. My throat was knackered and I was trying not to tell anyone um, but my mum clocked it and this is why it's really important to have chaperones and if possible chaperones that know you because my mum was like baby are you okay because she's thinking this is my 13 year old girl yeah, she was yeah, like I don't and I just went mum I don't feel too good she was like you're supposed to tell us and bless her she was so good to me she's really supportive of my mum and I remember there was a night where she we were we were filming in a restaurant but we were filming all night um they wanted it to be dark, but we were in Greece, so it got dark late anyway. All of this stuff. And my mum turned to one of the assistant directors. We had three assistant directors, by the way. Um, and he, she said, would it be possible for someone to give Amber something sugary just to kind of 
help her, her yeah. help her wake up help her have some energy and they were like oh my god that's a great idea and someone got sent someone got sent it was their job yeah. go get a go get a chocolate bar amber what do you like and uh, i don't know uh, uh, go get amber a chocolate bar there was a point where in mm. between takes this is the last example i'll give because i feel like i've made my point but it was a funny one in between takes um i'm sat on the chair just being good you know waiting for whatever happens yeah, camera being moved um i turned to the director and I said, um, Alki, could I, sorry, could I get a little bit of water, please? And he went, sure, and turned around and in Greek just yelled, Amber needs water. And there was this weird pass the parcel thing that happened, like, jun, jun, jun. and the guy nearest me went, jun. and this bottle of water yep. was just like there magically. Funny, isn't it? So it's very easy to get an inflated ego working in cinema. You have to be very careful of yourself. Yeah. And you have to remember, it's not because you're irreplaceable. It's because right now you're irreplaceable, but you can ruin, yeah, your, absolutely. You can ruin your career quickly if you get too much into that. So that's People a get really, yeah. really big difference. Um, the it, other it thing- so often. The other thing that your big um, odyssey of- Sorry about that, that. it took player. a while. <laughs> <laughs> the other thing that reminded me of, okay. It's, it's juicy goss, but I want to keep everyone anonymous. So, I know two separate female directors who are brilliant, okay? They do really, really fantastic work. I've seen both of their shows, la, 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 okay? And I respect their opinions massively, and they are professional women. They have both worked with the same person, who is male, who um, is a musician. So, they've both worked with him, they've both hired him, and they have polar opposite opinions of him really yes and i think that's so interesting now i met this guy okay so um you've got a woman who killed my dog yeah right you've got a woman who loves him a woman who can't stand him and me right i met him on one project and don't get me wrong i got along with him definitely has an ego on him yeah. like sorry but that is just a fact he was very quick to talk about all the work he'd done and how good he is that's just true you can work with people like that. I have done before. I don't find it a complete deal breaker. But yeah, from my perspective, I can say without a shadow of a doubt, yeah. he's good at what he does, but he fucking knows it. Okay. Yeah. So then I find I go and see this other girl's show and I see on the program the same guy. And a while later, we're at the pub and I was like, oh my gosh, you worked with this guy. And she went, yeah, that went really, that went really badly. And again, without saying too much, because it isn't really my business, um, he ended up leaving and saying, you're not allowed to use any of my music, this, that, the other, making quite a scene. And actually yeah, a thing cool. that I remember her complaining about is something that you and I have talked about in, in different ways, but the same way, which is he didn't, he didn't know his place with her or he yeah. did. He clear, I think my best theory is he didn't respect her as much as he respected this other director because yeah. when he was working with her, he would be doing the fiddling with instruments while she was trying to do something else. Fucking rude. <laughs> he would when It's really rude. I know it's rude. This is the thing. And she when she was trying to do um a tech run for the benefits of the lights and the effects, he and someone would be told to, Oh, can you do this bit of this song? And they do, he would then try and interject and direct the music. And it's like, now is not the time. Do you remember this chat we had a few weeks ago, you guys? Know when the rehearsal is for you and when it isn't. Yeah, and he just exactly. kept trying to interject and go, well, okay, so when you do this bit, can we do it more? And it's like, no offense, this isn't a rehearsal. It's a tech run. Sit the fuck down. <laughs> so yeah, exactly. I totally get why she felt that way. And I think that when she tried to, you know, rein him in, he got 
his this Didn't ego. Like him in. Yeah, this Didn't ego like that no. I've definitely observed got a bit injured. But then this yeah, other I tried to I talked to this other female director about it, and she wasn't having any of it. She was like I think he's brilliant. She, her go-to if there's going to be music in her work is this guy. And I'm sa- I'm not saying this to slag anyone off. I'm saying this because it's just so interesting that all of these people have got such different opinions of one another. And it's just a very interesting social experience to like observe yeah. and see how it goes. And the best I can do is, is, is my best assumption is this guy has got the ego. And I think maybe he... He might just, it might be a chemistry thing. He and the, 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 the director who likes him, they might just have a really good back and forth and know when to talk and when to be quiet and, yeah. and know each other better. But yeah, it was just very strange watching two successful, impressive, respectful female directors both have polar opposite. She, the one who likes him says, I have never felt like he didn't like having a mm. woman as his director. I've never felt like he didn't respect me. Really? And I'm just like... Huh. It's so it's so interesting, you know, you get people who get reputations for certain things and you know, you've got to remember that sometimes you catch people on off days. Like, you know, sometimes you get people so like, true. "Hey, I met a celebrity and they're a dick to me. Well, maybe you were behaving like a dick or maybe his mum's in hospital or something." Y- right? You, know? you yeah, don't yeah. fucking know. And you, you you that's why I when I've when I've met famous people I rarely, I actually rarely talk to them because I'm like, they just want to live their fucking day, you know? Yeah. Like, and, you know, um, a lot of actors like Martin Clunes, we we, we talked about that. Nath, um, I'm a big fan of um, some some of the stuff that Martin Clunes has done, like Doc Martin and stuff like that. And I, I wouldn't dream of talking to him because he's, he's at a service station. He's hanging about outside the service station. So his car might have broken down. He might be pissed off. Yeah, you know, yeah. he doesn't want some, some, some knobber coming up to him and bothering him saying, I really like your stuff. Mm. but um you know it's um yeah this for instance with that that bass player i was talking about you know someone said to us recently oh yeah you know i know he left the band but that was my favorite iteration of your band and i was just like well you were wrong also <laughs> because, it wasn't because like, of him he wasn't writing the fucking music yeah, he the wasn't thing was yeah, yeah he yeah. was the most disposable person in the band and i don't think he really understood that you know um it, we've talked about it before that me, me and nafe have always been kind of the core of the band and Luke is Luke is is right in there as well, but like, you know, me and Nath were always aware that we were each the ones that really made it the band. Um, I don't think Luke would mind us saying that. And to be honest, though, we'd ne- we'd never say goodbye to Luke. Apart from him being too good, we just like him too much. You know, we love him actually, genuinely, genuinely love 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 another man as another as a man loves another man. You know, yeah, He's fucking, yeah. You know, and we're such we're brothers. You know, the three of us, and um. It's so interesting because, for instance, I've never told that story I told before to mm. anyone outside of a very close knit group of people. So I thought, hey, I do it on the podcast. But um, so many other people have a different opinion of that person. Yeah, you know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And um, you know, it's it's um, it can be dangerous to tell these kinds of stories because people will think, oh, this re- who, who does this reflect on? You know, we all have those um, ego stories of. Um, of uh of lead singers particularly but uh, but but of actors as well and um it's so hard to separate the truth from um the fiction and what mm. we might like to believe or what people want to believe in terms of what kind of a person they are you know 
And it's important not to make up your mind on these people unless you actually know them. Yeah, so if we took this example, I would work with him. I wouldn't sit and go, oh, I'm never working with this musician because one person had a bad experience. You know, um, I'm, I, I, you've got to also be careful about what you hear. People, people will always have their own version of things. And yeah. you, can, you, could, you could really shoot yourself in, in the foot that way. I'll tell you another big difference between, for, from the perspective of the performer, between uh, theatre and film. You know, when you do something live, it's so exciting, right? Yeah. You're you're looking at how many how many people are in. Oh my my I've got an agent coming to watch me who might sign me. Oh my gosh, it's opening night. Everyone is, you know, buzzing. You are buzzing off each other. There is some there is a high that you get from live performance that you cannot get anywhere. I've decided that live performers are just straight up addicts for that adrenaline feeling you yeah, get. Yeah. I'm sure Definitely. you can relate. Whereas, you yeah. know, doing a movie it's it's nowhere near as exciting it feels very much more like just another day at work work, you know you've got hours and hours and hours and hours and hours of setup you have you do the same bit over and over and over and over and over and over again you then have to sit and wait and sit in that same chair while they move everything around because i had it once where this was just like um filming a short scene at art said but while we were all we all made each other's showreel scenes basically and i jumped up to run to the loo while they were changing cameras and i came back and our teacher the director was really pissed off because he was like we couldn't set up the camera without you sat there because we have to know where your head where you line up so even when they're changing positions and cameras and stuff you just have to sit there and do nothing and you know you have to film outdoors a lot of the time and outdoor filming is a whole fucking issue in itself and you don't have you just don't have the same camaraderie the same excitement and the same buzz that you get from performing live like i'm sure Mm. you can agree yeah of course and that that camaraderie thing is is the bread and butter of being in a band remember that's what it's all about it's actually not worth doing if you don't have it i genuinely believe that i genuinely believe it there's no reason to be in a band unless you're going to be best buds um, or at least in some some way, you know, get on with each other because you've got to live with these people, you know. Yeah, yeah. Um, live, you really travel, do. works. Your leap. life has got to be with these people. It's you like share, a family. Yeah. Um, and it always makes me sad when I hear about older bands who don't get on. You know. Yeah, me too. Or um, and I'm like, you're just there for the cash. It's really sad to me, you know. Like um, I don't know. If Slash and Axel still hate each other, for example, but it's just disappointing. I really don't know. It like it just dampens that excited thing. When you go and see them live, you're seeing them as a group. One of my favorite gigs was a day to remember, Um, and one of the reasons I enjoyed it so much they were they were quite small. They still are, but they were even smaller at the time. And uh, Kitty and I went to see them together. I think it was at Brixton, and we were on Barrier. But the thing that I loved and that really stood out was I could see their camaraderie. I could see those moments that they looked at each other like, fucking hell, we're doing it, look, we're doing it. Or I saw one of them in between songs or when he wasn't playing, mouthing across the stage to another one, oh, I I threw my pick and it hit someone in the eye. And like, it clearly just happened. <laughs> yeah, and yeah. he had to turn to his mate and tell him like across the stage. And because I was right at the front, I clocked it. And like, that yeah. is just so beautiful to see. So when it's that's... when you find out that that's not there or it's disingenuine, yeah. so sad. That's why I go see bands, you know, those yeah. things. And, and also, weirdly, weirdly, the actual things that I like best of like because youtube's full of videos of me on stage but 
the stuff I like best is when we're taking the piss out of each other and we're having a laugh. For instance, there is a video of me talking about Luke's new nipple piercing because he got a nipple piercing uh, just before one of our shows. And I was just like saying, do you ever seen Silence of the Lambs? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> when he gets the nipple piercing. And I was just, and we were, you know, it's just all the stuff about, you know, someone takes their shirt off and I go, da, 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 da. You know. Or like when we were doing Sweeney. Is, that's why I do it. When we were doing Sweeney, there was a day where like it was fucking boiling that summer. Like it was one of those particularly boiling hot summers. And we were doing big dance sequences with a lot of us in one rehearsal room. And it was so hot. And I remember like, there was a day where just one by one, all the women were like, I don't care. I'm taking my top off. And we were all just down to sports bras. And then there was a point <laughs> where one of the guys looked at me and decide- and very dramatically like Baywatchy took his top off and stuff. Yeah. And we were still boiling. And I remember turning to Rachel, one of the girls next to me and just went, I can't physically take off any more clothes like <laughs> but i'm still too hot i think I can't the, sad, pull my skin off. the sad thing about um theater work is you get that camaraderie exactly what you're talking about yeah and then it ends then you and don't it, see it again. really hurts yeah. it's really saddening because for those couple of months they are your family you're spending every waking moment with them you'll go yeah. especially when it's fringe theater because you literally go to work because you need to pay your bills and then you go to rehearsals and because you're all together anyway you go get a drink after rehearsals then you yeah. might go on tour or go to edinburgh and you're sharing rooms and you're flyering together and performing together and and, and, and then it's yeah, just yeah. and then they're just gone and it's really sad, sad isn't it sad People aren't supposed to exist like that. We're supposed to form those relationships and have them. Yeah. But it's nice because yeah. then eventually you'll bump into each other doing some bit of work somewhere and you'll love it and it'll be well, great. This yeah. is another reason why the R&D, I was saying this literally yesterday, another reason why the R&D I just did, the Macbeth one, was so great was it was the same company that did Sweeney Todd and mm. they they said, they now and we talked about this, you know, you can't give everyone parts all the time. But, you know, the main things was to have strong, be good with Shakespeare, but also have strong movement and fight skills. And because Sweeney was so movement heavy, the way that they did it, it isn't usually, but their version was very movement heavy. There were a good five or six of us from Sweeney all together again. You should have seen us on the first day because we couldn't touch or hug. So me and that Rachel, the Rachel I just mentioned, me and her just ran up to each other and stood facing each other jumping because we needed to express like our excitement, but we couldn't touch. So that was a really rare experience yeah, where where there was a bit of a reunion and we all got to make something together again so that oh, was lovely that's nice that's nice it's nice i feel like we're, we're winding down but we might have a bit of time for some muppets if you want i don't know How let's let's feel? whack on a bit of muppets i feel oh, like did we do wizard of oz already we didn't do wizard of oz we did we were gonna do it we did chocolate factory charlie and the chocolate factory or willy wonka okay um, should we do wizard of oz we didn't do yeah yeah Boom, let's do it. Uh, I'm saying okay. it right now. Miss Piggy has to be the Wicked Witch of the West. Obviously. And I think God. what we do is we I'm make melting. we make um, Kermit the Scarecrow so they never officially get together, but there's just hella sexual tension. Obviously. <laughs> and like, because also... Hella sexual tension. Big spoiler. That is what we watch The you, Muppets if for. If you actually haven't seen Wicked, but in Wicked, Elphaba... Have you seen Wicked, Cole? No, I've not. Oh, never mind. Funnily enough, I know someone who's in it or was in it. Never mind, but people who have seen Wicked, you'll get why another thing why that's nice. But anyway, so yeah, Miss Piggy is the witch, Kermit is the frog, and you can just make this comedy thing about them just like fancying each other all the way through. I would love that. Brilliant. Um, 
Cowardly I, Lion would either be Fozzie Bear was, or it would be the dog. Yeah. Who the piano playing or, dog? Again, because it's literally a lion, maybe they would just have to make a lion puppet for that. What could be fun? Mm, what could be I funny mean, is if if Gonzo was the Tin Man and Rizzo was the oil can. <laughs> that'd be good. I like that. Such a duo. But you know, or you could have Gonzo as the wizard. Or something like that. That could be good. There's also... The, who's, who's the munchkins? I feel like the munchkins would be like all the all rats. All the rats. All though. the rats would have to be munchkins. So, yeah, thousand percent. So so, so maybe Rizzo would be, you know, the head of Lollipop Guild or whatever, you know. <laughs> we represent... Yeah, that could the be good. Lollipop Guild. That could be very good. Uh, okay, um, so Gonzo, I think, could either be Tin Man or the, or the wizard. What do you think? Do you know what? We keep casting Gonzo as the the, the, the people in those proper dress i feel like he should be the tin man okay great uh i think dorothy would have to be human you need i think that's the person discovering the story is normally the human you know like jim hawkins was human yeah yeah that's that's the the idea so keep dorothy protagonist yeah we need a glinda the good witch again you could have another miss piggy they you could have them be like two different Do you know what? Miss Piggy is the good witch and then Miss Piggy's evil twin yeah, yeah, type. As thing. the wicked witch because of the there's, West. There's a reptilian version of Kermit who's like the evil Kermit. Yeah, yeah, so, yeah, exactly. So you'd have um yeah, Miss Piggy being the good witch, and then you'd have like evil Miss Piggy. Yes. You know. Exactly. That that works. That works. Come out, come out. And they both fancy the scarecrow. Obviously. Sexual <laughs> tension. It's everywhere. Uh, it's everywhere. Kermit. They can't get enough of Kermit. They're fighting over Kermit by I the mean, end. That's kind of it, you know, because Wizard of Oz has only got so many. How would you do the flying monkeys? Flying monkeys? Or, I mean, a part of me thinks they should all be Gonzo instead of Tin Man. Oh, that but, would be um, so... Fly, my pretties! Um, rah, rah, rah. Or like... Oh, the chickens. The chickens. The chickens! Yeah. Yes, that was better and, than my And idea. also, there will be another character who is the flying monkey, Rira, who is the chef. I was... And he's trying to chase all these chickens around. Oh, I love See? it. I was going to suggest um, Sam the eagle and all the flying monkeys are just really sarcastic and deadpan. <laughs> that's funny. <laughs> that's not funny. other major characters. I was going to say, that's actually quite an easy one, isn't it? Maybe we should do a different one. Don't know. What else has no characters in it? <laughs> What's another like quick fire Muppet one? Uh, I'm just staring at all my I mean, it'll be something for me, wouldn't it? Uh, what if... Ooh, this might be a weird one, but you might enjoy it. Are all you right. a fan of Shaun of the Dead? <laughs> Am I a fan of Shaun of the Dead? Let's do Good Shaun God, of the woman. Dead. Come on. Okay, so um, immediately Dylan Moran is played by the Eagle. I was going to say that. I was going to say that. Okay, good, 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 yep. good. I'm so glad we agree. Immediately, that's the first one that springs to mind. It's the most distinctive kind of, you know, that, that thing. And he's yeah. trying to... Oh, okay. So Miss Piggy is uh, the girlfriend. Yeah. Um, and and Kermit is Sean. Yeah. Okay. So Sean's best friend is Fozzy. So so. so oh, I yeah, love it. Nick, yeah, Nick Fozzy, Fozzy would be so their best top friends. left. Yeah. Who put this on? Yeah. Top left. Ah. Yeah. Okay. Cool. <laughs> Who put this on? <laughs> That'd be fucking great. Um, <laughs> you having okay. fun, babe? <laughs> so uh, yeah, I am. So who's um, Dawn from the Office? Who's who's that? Um, there's not enough female Muppets. There is underrepresentation of gender equality. No, there in, really in the is. It's very, it's and, definitely and, an and issue. And we realise that as the longer we go into it. So, um, only other female characters I can think of is the bass player. 
from um um what's it do you know, I actually watched the Muppets recently and there are female characters, but they're not like ongoing female yeah, characters. Yeah, the only ongoing like, female is Miss Piggy. You're here now. Yeah. Um, even the bass player doesn't have much of a personality. What about the parents? So, what about, what about um, yeah. Phil. The mum and Nighy. the dad. Yeah. Um, and Bill Nye and Harriet Jones. That's how I know those people. One's from Doctor Who and one's Bill Nye. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I will so, say Penelope Wilton has done a lot of movies. She did oh, she's Calendar done loads Girls. Of stuff. She's, Pretty she's sure great. she shows up. She's obviously oh my god, she did fucking Downton, by the way. Uh anyway, carry on. This is really difficult. For one thing, who could be the parent of um, of, of Kermit the Frog? You could make um, a froggy mum. You could make a froggy mum and then a stepdad a could and be I anyone. I feel like the stepdad can be they don't have a great relationship. Again, that would be a good Sam the Eagle. Not but that to... would also be a good human. That could make a human. Yeah, you're not my real dad. <laughs> <laughs> See, that would be great. That would be so Imagine funny. that. You're not my dad. I mean, look at you. <laughs> Come on. You're six foot tall. I'm two foot three. God. <laughs> That'd be great. Okay, who's the shitty flatmate? Played by, um, oh God, Peter Serafinovich, is it? Yeah. Sarah he's so talented. I wish he was doing more stuff. I, I think he's one of the best actors around. Um, um, the shitty housemate who everyone, who they just don't get on with. Scooter, who is the okay. guy I mentioned the other week, Scooter. Yeah. But Scooter being a dick. I'd love that. <laughs> Can you imagine that? Yeah. Scooter just being a dick. And the front door is open again. <laughs> <laughs> Fucking great. And what oh about Beaker? Me, 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 me. Oh my god. Well, no, 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 no. Beaker and Professor Honeydew are the versions of themselves they walk past in that alleyway. Do you remember okay. that? Okay. Yeah, yeah. When yeah. um when they meet themselves and it's like half the cast of Spaced are all yes, in one place. Yeah, 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 yeah. Oh, lot Spaced is amazing. We could oh, next time we've got to do Spaced. Anyway, um <laughs> so Beaker and Professor Honeydew are Nick Frost and Sean uh well, it'd be Martin Freeman and um yeah. who else is it? Someone else. Anyway, uh, oh, it's, uh, it's um, Matt Lucas, I think, actually. Um, so, Mr. Beaker and Professor Honeydew. Then, yep. other shitty person. I can't do the whole of them. No, there's too much. I think you've done a good we've job. We've done enough. You've done well. Yeah, that's all right. You've done well. Um, do you know the only other thing I had written down, by the way, as something what? that should be the same, with, no matter else. whether you're recording or performing live, you should still warm up, you guys. In yeah, fact, yeah, when you're yeah. on a movie, you should really warm up even more because you've just probably been sat in a car that's driven you there and it's four in the morning and you're dehydrated and, you know, like all those things we said, yeah. you need to warm up your voice. You need to, even though you're not, yep. even though you're not speaking for an audience of, you know, 500 people, you still need to to be what is known as on voice you still need to have that support yeah. and that breath work and that control you know you need to also like emotional connection is really important and arguably more important when you're on a movie because it's like right up in your face yeah um you can't be emotionally connected if your breath work isn't there that yeah, is yeah. that is just true the secret to good emotional accessibility is is breath work whether you like it or not so you still should warm up that's what i'm saying yep. stretch be a weirdo. Go around going on set. No one cares. Rubbing go to your, your go shit. to your trailer. You know all those stupid things. Like yeah, they're in their trailer. They're just they're just preparing. Yeah, they're fucking warming up because it's really yeah, important. 
So yeah, that was the only oh, other thing I had written down. There was one thing that I had written down, which I forgot to mention, which is about producers and the role of the producer, because a producer can make or break you. Can we do a um, whole episode about that? So yeah, because yeah, I totally definitely. agree. I think definitely. producers need to be talked about properly, and I've done a bit of producing, but not very much producing. So yes, 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 yes. Boom. Awesome. Okay, well, I think that kind of concludes. I think we're good this for the day. Week's episode of riffs, riffs and, and indeed scripts the riffs so and the scripts. Uh, my name has been Cole Bryant my name has been Amber Sava find us on the socials or the usual listen to me guest on Sagey Place which we mentioned last week um, episode from Wednesday the 14th I believe apart from that have a good one have a good one much love bye bye take care yeah something for you mm. okay I'm just staring at um, my boyfriend's DVD shelf because I'm think- really glad you said DVD shelf then